Hi, Michelle. Hi, Naomi. So good to see you. So I would like to introduce my good friend, Michelle Riemond. And Michelle was a colleague of mine when I worked at Redwood City School District. Uh, Michelle, can you just tell us a little bit about your job at Redwood City School District? Absolutely. And I want to thank you, Naomi, and the church for inviting me to, to this talk. So um, I work for the Redwood City School District at the Communications Department. And uh, I basically oversee their communication in Spanish. However, it's not a language part, but an engagement part. So uh, honoring um, the cultural sensitivity of what we want to convey means knowing who our target audience is. And not only what they expect from the school, but also what, what is their sense of self. And that has become um, a huge part of my job because I'm, I, I'm sort of a bridge between the schools, the parents, the district, the cabinet members, the directors to help them understand what's, what's being a Latino parent like, what's being that on a public school system in the United States and what being an immigrant is. I know you've been working round the clock practically um, on helping families who are going through some trauma because of COVID-19. And we can probably all imagine, but I wonder if you can describe what are some of the hardships that families in Redwood City are experiencing because of this pandemic? Um, one of the, the hardships is definitely the, how unstable their um, job situation is because um, in some families, neither parents are working right now. And um, I served yesterday three families who texted me and say, we ran out of our savings. So we have basically nothing, right? Like they were able to survive three or four weeks, but they're done. And um, so I, I see it in like the everyday life that, that can actually be sold because the city has a lot of services for those families. We have food distribution. We have um, the Fair Oaks Community Center is doing a lot of support, you know, from uh, assistance with uh, rent or other, other expenses. And also we have um, the lunch distribution for minors and such. But it's also the system-wise. I think that is the biggest challenge. Parents are overwhelmed in so many ways. One of the, one of the layers is the at-home learning, which we have put in place and it's awesome. I myself have you know, seen it because I have to walk parents through it. But having a parent who has a third grade or second grade literacy level, having to uh, go with her child through Google Classroom, you know, and Zoom meetings and, and everything, parents feel like this is too much. And when a parent feels inadequate, they don't feel as parents. They feel like children. And then sometimes the child takes the role of the parent or the child themselves, them, himself, disconnects, right? And we have, so right now the struggle is how to make parents feel that they, they are able, they can do this, right? So my job with them is uh, with a phone or a screencast file, say, you can do this, you are able. And another part that has a deeper, deeper layer and has to do with the compassion you were mentioning is that parents being amazed that someone cares. 
when the teacher tells me, I have a child missing. I have 30 students, but one is missing. My class is not complete. Could you please reach out to that family? And I, you know, reach out and text and say, Senora, please come. Uh, we can do this. And they are, you know, with the phone. And then the child appears in the, in, the, in the screen. And the whole classroom is so happy. And the teacher said, we missed you. The mom has, moms have t told me several times, I didn't know we matter. I didn't know the school would go so far for a child that's missing. So imagine, please imagine feeling that your absence is not worth the attention of others. And when we say you're worth, of course you're worth the help. When a parents feel that they have been helped in a way that shows their worth, they don't say thank you or just thank you. They bless you back. So that's awesome. And I, I always think that that is my standard of quality when I interact with them. Until I get the blessing, then I keep going. Because it's not just saying give me because I don't have anything. They take and they give. And that's an empowered parent. That is a part of the community. So the challenge is the families who are doubled up. And I can tell you, we have families that are 17 in a room in a two-bedroom apartment. Those are the communities there mm -hmm. to have them on board consistently, not just once, but consistently. Right now, the challenge is for them to, they, I think they have passed the bump, the first bump, the emergency, this is where we're at. And then how long are we going to be like this? Which is a question we, share, we all share. How long is this going to take? Mm -hmm. And then um, I think that their despair takes different, um, is different to the despair of someone who has not to worry about rent or um, they will cope because they are very resilient. But uh, we don't know how coping would look like. Um, in this pandemic. So the needs are many right now and um, there are so many ways that we might help but I just wonder if you have any advice for those of us um, who are not suffering quite as much. How can we reach out and help somebody who maybe only lives a few miles away and is in a really different situation? Yes so the needs I agree with you are a lot. I think that um, Housing is one of them. So any, anything that we can push the authorities, you know, around us to, to make sure there's, there's um, it's very clear what the importance of social responsibility that we have, that we make sure the families that are at risk of losing their homes do not. The other part has to do with tap into what you're feeling right now. You know, this feeling of not knowing what's going to happen of being isolated, of sensing that you lost something so big that you cannot name it. That is the permanent feeling of an immigrant. Another thing that you could do, definitely, you could um, donate, if you want to make donations, uh, to certain um, organizations that are collecting um, I can, I can share with you some of the links that need, we, weekly need, 
um, diapers, food, clothing, and but also all kinds of gift cards from restaurants, takeout, gas, um, the everyday life, not having, you know, dish, dish soap, toiletries, all of that that bring dignity to the family, right? So that those kind of donations is, um, are very, very important. And I think also the, the other part is being flexible. Right now, the invitation for being flexible, what does work look like? What, what the, does uh, education look like? Instead of saying it should work like this, because if you who are educated and who have, you know, full command of the language, full command of the citizenship. If this is your frustration, an immigrant will take all of this to go to the level you're proposing, right? So if you're flexible, then we can all meet, we can all grow. Otherwise, there will be always two understandings of the world. The, ones, the one you are expecting to happen and the one who just can't just cope right so by being flexible we are we are creating new meanings and i think that will be the true compassion and justice that could bring the best of us in this in this time thanks so much michelle um your words have really uplifted my day to day and i hope that the rest of our congregation will feel the same so thank you very much for your time thank you so much for the invitation Thank you, Naomi and Michelle, for that wonderful interview, for giving us an insight into what life is like for immigrants in our country, and particularly in this time. I think Michelle is spot on that each of our experience in this time is a window into empathy for others, particularly immigrants. Maybe for the first time, we understand what it's like to feel that our life is on the margins to feel the anxiety and fear of not being able to control what comes next and not knowing at all what life will be like. So let us let this time be an opening of empathy. And it also gives us insight into our scriptural text because most of scripture is written to people who are on the margins, who are experiencing anxiety and fear in some way who are having some sort of an immigrant experience in their lives. That is certainly true of this text from 1 Peter today. And the writer essentially wants to say two things to those that he's writing. One, you matter. And two, your life is of consequence. Just like that teacher welcoming an immigrant student into her virtual classroom said, hey, we are so happy to see you. You matter to us. That is what the writer is saying to the folks that he's writing to. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. The writer is speaking to people who are all lost in anxiety and fear and feel invisible and saying, actually, you are chosen by God, you matter. And then secondly, he says, not only do you matter, not only is it this pinch in the arm of, yes, you're here and God sees you, but also your life is of consequence. 
And this is a really curious thing in the text that I, I love because there is this paradox of both a responsibility and a receiving. Listen to it here. Come to God. So there's the responsibility. Come to God and let yourselves, that's the receiving, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The writer invites them to both, to both receive and allow something to happen that is more than you could ask or imagine in your own lives even as you come to God. And in that coming, that coming is framed in this text through an appropriate longing, through placing our longing in the deepest, most soul-filling place that we can. Often we long for things that, that don't fill us up. We long for a trip to Paris. We long for a certain car. We long for a relationship. We long for a job. And, and none of those things are, are maybe wrong, particularly the trip to Paris, which I'm thinking about a lot these days. Um, but there is a, a reverse logic to longing that actually, the more we mature and the deeper we go in our life with God, our longings become more simple rather than more complex. We begin to, to long for what the writer of 1 Peter calls the pure spiritual milk. The mystics have told us that, that this is true for forever, that, that the deeper they go in their relationship with God, the more they find the simplicity of longing. Martin Laird says this, God is the ground of our innermost being, yet we skim along the surface of life. The result is that our lives are, are like that of the deep sea fisherman who is fishing for minnows while standing on a whale. The result is that our lives are often like that of the deep sea fisherman who is fishing for minnows while standing on a whale. Augustine says, you were within me and I was outside myself. Our native state is belonging to God. The nourishment of pure spiritual milk, the writer First Peter talks about. Though that, that thing that we receive without doing anything, only because we are loved, just as a mother gives milk to her child before the child has done anything to earn it. That is what God gives to us, and that is what we truly, deeply long for. And in this season of life, we, we all find ourselves in a monastery of sorts. Brian McLaren recently said in, in an interview, we are all monks now. And Ronald Rollheiser, in his recent book, The Domestic Monastery, says, what is a monastery? A monastery is not so much a place set apart for monks and nuns as it is a place set apart, period. It is also a place to learn the value of powerlessness and a place to learn that time is not ours, but God's. Well, if that doesn't describe our current days right now, I don't know what is. This season is a time of 
of a monastery of sorts. And the question is, will we allow ourselves to be in that paradoxical state of both responding and receiving? Of taking responsibility for, for what this season is calling us to, while receiving what God wants to do in us. To be nourished by God herself. To let ourselves be built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. These days, I'm spending a lot of time thinking about what is ahead. My friend Rory said to me this week that we've gone from talking about what is undone to what will be redone. But maybe we don't want to redo. Maybe we're being invited into something different. Michelle hinted at this in the interview when she invited us to more flexibility, to, to, maybe, to maybe meeting others so that we can all be on the same plane, to maybe letting go of our expectations and assumptions so that we can build a different kind of world. The question I keep asking myself is, who do I want to be in this time and who do I want to be when it's over? And I can tell you, I don't want to be the same. I don't want the world to be the same. I don't even want Valley Presbyterian to be the same, as wonderful as it has been. I want all of us to move from being consumers to being community, from performance to participation, from fixing to healing, from cheap fast food to deep nourishing soul food. I want us to live from a place of belonging, to know that we matter and that our lives are of consequence. This won't last forever and I am so glad for that, but let's make it last. Let's allow ourselves to be made into that holy priesthood who knows that, that their actions matter, who steps into the world as healers with intention and the compassion of Jesus Christ. Amen.